Today on The Voice of Prophecy, we're going to talk about the neo-atheists, this rising tide of atheism that seems to be sweeping across the Western world. And we're going to talk about why they appear to be wrong about the human instinct to believe in God. They say it's a remnant of bad evolution, a genetic hangover, but I say they're wrong. And in just a minute, I'll come back and tell you why. So no matter where you stand, whether you believe or you disbelieve, this is a program you're going to want to listen to. Well, today we're going to travel back in time just a little bit and visit a book that came out just a few years ago because I've sat down and reread this book lately and I want to talk about it because it's really part of the modern atheist canon. It's part of this rising trend in Western countries where atheists seem to be moving away from simply expressing their doubt to what appears to be an all-out effort to persuade believers to walk away from God. I guess atheists have gone from being defensive about their beliefs or their lack of belief to launching an offensive against traditional faith. This almost looks like an actual campaign as if somebody was coordinating it. And, and of course, atheists have every bit as much right to propagate their system of belief as I do. I mean, I, I firmly believe that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if I can get on the radio and talk to you about good reasons to believe in God, well, they can certainly be free to do the opposite. I wouldn't have it any other way. But I, I do want to talk about a few things I've noticed because some people are starting to take the neo-atheists seriously and they haven't noticed some of the holes in their thinking. In short, because we've kind of drifted away from solid doctrinal thinking in Christianity, because we no longer spend enough time thinking about our long history and our solid intellectual tradition, well, some of our young people are believing what they're hearing. They're becoming victims of this new atheist evangelism. So who am I talking about in particular? Well, there are a few people. And Richard Dawkins would probably be a good example, especially after his book, The God Delusion, made it to the top of the charts. And that book's been around for a few years now. And honestly, personally, it doesn't seem to be a well-argued book. And it, it kind of sounds like a guy writing who isn't really familiar with Christian theology or thinking, and, and it kind of has this tone like it's written by a guy who's got an axe to grind. But still, it, it's a good example of someone who makes it his own personal mission to take down Christians, to destroy their belief. And, and not just Christians, he's talking about every belief system. Richard Dawkins basically states that he's on a mission to unevangelize people. And I guess that's not the word he uses. I made that word up, unevangelize. But that's the essence of what he says. Right in the preface of the book, here's what he says. Listen to this. If this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. And, and I kind of feel bad for Mr. Dawkins because that's not what happened. Most of the solidly anchored Christians I know who read that book actually came away with a stronger belief in God. Because the God that Dawkins describes seems completely foreign to the God of the Bible. But it is important to note that his book is not just a hypothesis. He's not just talking about his own unbelief. This book is a deliberate attempt to talk people out of their faith. And again, he has every right to try and do that. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love the freedom of speech we have. 
I mean, if he really believes that God doesn't exist and he really believes that religion is harmful, then honestly, he'd be kind of irresponsible to not say something. So I guess I kind of have the same attitude as Penn Jillette, you know, the, the, the famous magician and atheist. Contrary to what you'd expect from a staunch atheist like Penn Jillette, he actually appreciates it when Christians try to witness to him. I mean, just go look him up on YouTube. And he tells the story of a Christian who gives him a Bible. And he says, man, I really respected that because if you believe my soul is in jeopardy, he says, how much do you have to hate me not to share your faith? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was something like that. He appreciates the effort. But now I guess I'm kind of wandering from the topic at hand. I, I need to get back to Richard Dawkins. And it's not even Richard Dawkins that I want to talk about because lots of people have talked about him before. And there have been lots of great responses to the God delusion. I guess I really want to get to this idea that shows up in another famous atheist book by another author. And this one is called The End of Faith by Sam Harris. He's another one of these famous neo-atheists, one of the so-called four horsemen of the anti-apocalypse. At least I've heard these guys described that way. Now, The End of Faith by Sam Harris, this is a book that is another attempt to take a swipe at the practice of religion in our day and age. And if I'm honest about this, Harris's book is better written and better argued than Dawkins, and, and probably a little more worthy of some discussion. Now, Harris has a target. His primary target seems to be Islam. Because of the surge of violence that seems to follow that particular faith tradition every time it brushes up against another religion, and especially in the wake of 9-11 and the recent wars in the Middle East, Islam seems to be an easy target for Sam Harris. But as you read through the book, he actually moves away from Islam and identifies religion itself as the big problem on planet Earth. He suggests that our world would be a lot better off if religion didn't exist if there were no religious people. Which is kind of a mind-blowing idea to those of us who have benefited greatly from the generosity and kindness of religious people. But that is Sam Harris's thesis, and unfortunately, lots of people are believing it, so I want to talk about it. I mean, there are lots of people following in his wake now saying religion is the biggest problem in the world. And one of the most interesting ideas that Sam Harris brings to the table is this idea that if the human race suddenly lost all of its knowledge, if we just suddenly woke up one day and forgot everything we ever learned, Harris says we would never, ever rebuild religion the same way we did it the first time. In fact, he says we probably wouldn't be religious at all. He says that God was an accident, just a fluke, and we wouldn't do it again if we were given the chance. But instead of telling you what he says, I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. So we'll have a little bit of reading theater here right now. I'm going to read to you from his book because what he says is important, and it actually reflects the growing opinion of a lot of people. And I wish I could actually give you the page number, but I pulled this out of my Kindle, so I, I don't even have a page number. But he, here it goes. This is Sam Harris now. Quote, what if all our knowledge about the world were suddenly to disappear? Imagine that six billion of us wake up tomorrow morning in a state of utter ignorance and confusion. Our books and computers are still here, but we can't make heads or tails of their contents. We have even forgotten how to drive our cars and brush our teeth. What knowledge would we want to reclaim first? Well, there's that business about growing food and building shelter that we would want to get reacquainted with. We would want to relearn how to use and repair many of our machines. Learning to understand spoken and written language would also be a top priority, given that these skills are necessary for acquiring most others. And 
here at this point, I kind of agree with Harris. Those probably would be high priorities. But then he delivers his complaint. Here's what he says. Quote, when in this process of reclaiming our humanity, will it be important to know that Jesus was born of a virgin or that he was resurrected? And how would we relearn these truths if they are indeed true? By reading the Bible? And now, unquote. I'm no longer quoting Sam Harris. Here's what he's suggesting. He's saying, look, Christianity is nothing but fiction. It is not rooted in real history. And then he goes on to suggest that we would probably find all world religions equally useless if we suddenly woke up one day without any knowledge whatsoever. That we would go and find a book in the library and read about Thor and his hammer or Isis, the Egyptian goddess. And, and then Harris suggests that those ancient pagan gods would seem about as plausible to us as the Judeo-Christian God. What he's basically saying is that we wouldn't come to the same conclusions we came to the last time. He says, and again I quote him, he says, The point is that most of what we currently hold sacred is not sacred for any reason other than it was thought sacred yesterday. Surely, if we could create the world anew, the practice of organizing our lives around untestable propositions found in ancient literature to say nothing of killing and dying for them would be impossible to justify. End unquote. What Harris is actually saying is that, given a chance, the human race would never, ever come up with the same religion, as if we invented Christianity the first time. He's basically saying it's just based on a book, a mythological book, and not on real historical events. And I suppose you could extrapolate from his logic that people simply would not believe in God if we had another chance to start over again, because he says it's nothing but a story that we made up. And he says it's a story we place too much stock in. And it's right at that point where Mr. Harris and I part company. So you might want to stay tuned because there's actually new research to suggest that he's absolutely wrong. New research that suggests that we don't believe in God just because our parents did. Our propensity to believe might actually be built into our human DNA. So hang in there. I'll come right back and tell you how. Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down, even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we're back from the break. And today I'm discussing this idea that religion was just invented by somebody in the past. That for some reason, we just kind of made it up. A senseless concoction that hasn't served the human race very well. And we were considering Sam Harris's contention that we would not do this again if we were given another chance. We wouldn't choose to believe in God. We wouldn't even think about God. But you know, there's new research at the University of Oxford that suggests he's dead wrong. 
Back in 2008, Dr. Justin Barrett from the Center for Anthropology and Mind suggested that young people are naturally predisposed to believe in a supreme being, that people appear to assume that the world was created, and to assume that our world was actually created with a real purpose. In other words, we're born into this world hardwired to believe in what some people would call intelligent design. Even if you never teach your kids about God, even if you never expose them to religious faith, they still have a natural disposition to believe in God. Even people raised alone in an isolated place, on a deserted island, with no memory of their parents, would still probably come to believe in God. Here's what Dr. Barrett actually said on BBC Radio back in 2008. So this is a few years ago. The preponderance of scientific evidence, he says, for the past 10 years or so has shown that a lot more seems to be built into the natural development of children's minds than we once thought, including a predisposition to see the natural world as designed and purposeful, and that some kind of intelligent being is behind that purpose. If we threw a handful on an island and they raised themselves, I think they would believe in God. And that's the end of his quote. Now, you might be wondering how in the world he came to that conclusion, and it's really pretty simple. He asked small children why things are the way they are in our world. And even if they didn't have a religious belief, they still appeared to grasp this idea of cause and effect, that there's a reason and a cause for everything that happens. He asked six-year-old kids, why did the first bird exist? And they always came up with a reason, to make nice music or to make the world look nice. In other words, birds have purpose. Somebody made that bird on purpose. And it wasn't just six-year-olds. He actually got reactions from one-year-olds when he showed them movies that didn't make sense. Showed them a movie of a, of a rolling ball that suddenly makes a heap of random blocks reorganize itself into a tidy stack. And apparently, babies recognized when they saw that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't happen in the real world. Stacks of blocks have intelligent designers. Somebody builds them on purpose. It doesn't happen when a ball rolls through the room. Babies noticed. Here's what he said, quote, Children's normally and naturally developing minds make them prone to believe in divine creation and intelligent design. In contrast, evolution is unnatural for human minds, relatively difficult to believe. In other words, he's saying you need faith to make the first steps to believe in a purposeless evolution, and you have reason to help you believe in God. Now, that's the opposite of what we've been told. And of course, you've got to ask the question, why kids are born like this? If we really come into being without a purpose, without something wanting us to be here, if our existence is nothing but an accident, then why would it be so hard to get our minds around this idea that we don't mean anything? I mean, that's what they tell us. Because if God doesn't exist, if someone didn't put us here, that's what you've got. You've got life without meaning. So maybe the answer can be found in a place that both Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins seem to think is unnecessary. Maybe the answer is actually found in the Bible. Maybe our ancient ancestors understood something that these guys haven't grasped. Now, to be perfectly fair, neither Harris nor Dawkins thinks that everything in the Bible is objectionable. Not at all. In fact, they'll tell you there are parts of the Bible they like. They just find the whole package objectionable. They think the bad outweighs the good. But personally, I find it interesting that what Dr. Barrett discovered about babies 
was actually written down thousands of years ago by one of the roughly 40 people who wrote the Bible. Now, don't forget, the Bible's not one book. It's a compilation of 66 books, and sometimes we let people tell us that we only have one book to back up what we're saying. But that's not true. We don't just have one source. We have a whole collection of books, a wide assortment of testimonials written by people from every walk of life. And the book of Ecclesiastes is widely recognized by Christians and Jews alike as a rich source of wisdom. And in chapter 3, the author makes this really remarkable statement. He's speaking of a creator God in chapter 3, verse 11, and he says this, He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, there are really two big concepts in what he just said. First of all, he states quite clearly that God is too big for the human mind to really understand. We can catch glimpses of him, but we can't see the whole scope of his work. And of course, if God is real, that makes perfect sense. How in the world could you hope to wrap your finite mind around his infinite reality? The Bible says, as the high heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, of course, if God is real, he's going to be somewhat incomprehensible. And that's something of a sore point with the rationalist crowd who only seem to want to believe in something they have perfect control over. They say everything has to be the result of empirical study. It has to be the conclusion of a rational, logical process. And if there's something we can't understand, well, then that couldn't be true. And really, that's not much of an argument. Because if they're right, then toddlers who live in our homes would have to abandon the idea of our whole planet because they don't understand it. They don't have essential knowledge. And if you and I are God's children, and if our existence here is just the beginning of our existence, then we have to expect that you can't see the whole scope of God's work. You won't understand everything. So... That's one big idea you find in the book of Ecclesiastes. But the other big idea is even more important because the author states that God has, quote, planted eternity in the human heart. Now, that goes hand in glove with the discovery that babies will come to a belief in God all by themselves. You see, this is hardwired into us. We are predisposed to recognize God. There's a very good reason that the vast majority of human beings are religious, more than 90% of us. We believe because we're hardwired to recognize there's something bigger than us in this universe. You see, some of these new atheists like to pretend that belief is a human deficiency, that somehow the process of evolution has let us down and left us believing in fairy tales. But it's more likely, it turns out, that unbelief is the genetic deficiency. It's like missing one of your senses. Because, after all, what are the odds that 90-some percent of the human race is wrong, but only a handful are right? It's like someone has been born colorblind or without a sense of smell. They can't sense what the rest of us are sensing. And honestly, every time somebody asks me how a reasonably intelligent person can believe in God, my gut reaction is to ask, well, how can't you believe in God? How do you not see this? Now, in a moment, I want to pick up on that train of thought, but I have to take a break. So hang tight and listen to this free offer to enroll in our world-famous Bible school, and then I'll come right back. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, can God really forgive me? 
Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7922, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. Just before the break, we were looking at this ancient passage from the Bible that suggests that God has put eternity in the human heart. And then we tied that to this remarkable discovery made at Oxford that babies come into this world predisposed to believe in God. Apparently, the Bible has it right. We are hardwired to believe in something bigger than ourselves. We recognize design and purpose by nature. And I know, some of the skeptics are going to say, but that's a vestigial artifact of the evolutionary process. Something put that instinct in us for a reason, but now the reason is gone and we still have the instinct and it's just a big mistake. But you know, it's not that easy to explain it away. It still all comes down to purpose and design. Even if you believe in evolution and you say there is no God, you still have this idea that if the instinct to believe exists, it must be there for a reason. It must have started with a reason. See, the concept of evolution teaches that evolutionary changes have benefits over the long term, that good adaptations survive, and that life as a whole keeps moving onward and upward. The genetic mistakes are eventually bred out of existence because they weren't beneficial. So it really all comes back to purpose and design. We have this assumption of progress. We believe that the world is moving forward. And even people who say the world has no purpose usually believe that it's moving forward. And if they don't believe that biological evolution is progressive, they still believe that social development is progressive and that civilization is better than no civilization. They say we're improving. But why would we be improving? Towards what? Where are we headed? I mean, what makes you think we're moving anywhere? What makes you think we're moving forward? See, there are problems with this thinking. There's still a need for design and purpose. But I guess, I guess I'm wondering. Let's get back to that statement that God has put eternity in your heart and really think about it. When we talk about eternity, we're thinking about things that have no limit. If we say the universe is eternal, we're implying it has no end. We say it's going to go on forever. And that concept of eternity, time or space without any limit, runs completely contrary to what our actual human experience tells us because nothing about you is eternal. You don't go on forever. Your life has an expiry date. The things you build crumble if you don't maintain them. 
The relationships you build either drift apart because of apathy or they're interrupted by your death. Nothing you have lasts forever, and yet you still have an idea of eternity. And you got to wonder, where did that come from? How is it that we can conceive of a world that keeps on going after you die? We don't like to think about that. I don't like to think about that. But somehow we're smart enough to figure it out. The world was here before we were born, and the world will still be here after we die. And it kind of sounds obvious, right? Everybody knows that. But it's not really that obvious. How do you know the world's going to keep going? What reason do you have to believe that the universe is still going to be here when you're dead? You couldn't conceive of that unless you happen to have eternity in the heart. I mean, think about this carefully. Think about every funeral you have ever gone to. If we really believe we have no purpose and the universe is just an accident, then why does death bother you? I mean, shouldn't you just say death is death, it's going to happen, no big deal? But that's not what we do. When someone dies, we instinctively know that death is wrong. We sense, hey, the grave has just cheated me. Unless you happen to be in unbearable pain or you're desperate to be put out of your misery, nobody wants to die. We don't accept this. Our logic tells us, yeah, you're going to die. We know it's going to happen. But then when you're faced with your own mortality, all of a sudden you push back with everything you've got because something inside you is screaming, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. I'm not supposed to come to some meaningless end. So let me ask you, where did that instinct come from? Is that just survival, another leftover from evolution? And if it is, why in the world would survival be a universal instinct? Why would any creature choose life over death? Unless there's a reason for it. Unless we sense there's a purpose. And there you go again. It always comes back to purpose. It always comes back to design. Skeptics might tell you it's just an illusion. We made up this idea of progress. It's just a construct that we put on our own existence. But our instinct to survive, our capacity to think about eternity, is so hardwired that I have trouble accepting that it's just brain chemistry. I don't buy that. Our brains tell us we're going to die, but our hearts fight that because somehow we know it's not right. It's not supposed to end. Not like this. And that's an idea you don't find in evolutionary theory or random chance. It's an idea that you find in a book that claims to be inspired by your Creator. The Bible starts out telling us we were supposed to live forever, and then something went wrong. And really, that concept is a much closer match for the human experience than the stuff I got in my university biology books. Something hardwired in us tells us that we are not just biological machines. Something inside us tells us life is worth living. And something tells us there is purpose to our existence. And I guess if there's just one point for you to walk away with today, it's this. It's just the one thing. Purpose. If we really did wake up one day and the human race suddenly forgot everything, would we rebuild the religious systems of the world? Well, yes and no. Hopefully, we'd leave behind some of the man-made features that have made religion unbearable. Sam Harris is right about some of the undesirable features of religion. I can agree with that, like the auto de fe and the Inquisition. Hopefully, we'd leave that stuff behind because God didn't teach us that. We came up with that on our own. But would we believe if we had another chance? Yes, we would. 
For centuries, we've been looking up into the night sky, and for centuries, we have been humbled by this idea there's something bigger than us out there, something that we're looking for. And honestly, that's not an accident. There are more and more people all the time who get angry at religion, and I don't blame them. Some bad things have happened in the name of religion, and sometimes religious people have behaved very badly. But that doesn't prove God isn't real. It just serves to underline what God said about us all along. Something went wrong with us. We're not what we used to be, and God's promise is to restore us back to what He originally intended. You have eternity in your heart, and the reason you're looking for Him is because He hardwired you to discover Him. Until next time, I'm Sean Boonstra. This has been The Voice of Prophecy. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Where is God when people suffer? Can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or pick up the phone and call us at 888-456-7922 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free lessons mailed right to your home. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.